Okay, if you feel like you need more intelligence, you feel like you need more faith, you're in the right place because they go together. We're talking about deep thinkers following Jesus. And if you've been with us, we've been having a great time. Uh, if you haven't, uh, pick up the podcast. They're free on our website, Dennis and Bethany. Dot com, okay? And they're all there for you. We have two more weeks after this, so stay with us. It gets better every day. And we're asking this morning the often asked question, are all religions basically the same, right? Believe in a higher power, uh, be nice to one another, and don't text and drive, that kind of thing, right? <laughs> now this question, this whole attitude is generally known as religious pluralism, the idea that all religions, at least the ethical ones, uh, teach basically the same thing, lead to God and salvation. It's often described by two images, blind people and the elephant, and all roads lead up the mountain. And we're going to look at both of them, and then we're going to look at two questions. Um, is Jesus the only Savior, and who loves you? So we got a lot to do, and i got to pray. Lord, um, we all need to hear from you, not from Tom. So uh, I'm asking that you would stand in my body, you would use my voice, that you would take all the glory, and that your word and your spirit would do your work in your people. And that includes me. We are desperate for you, but that's good because you always come through. We need you, we love you, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, good, good, good. First, first, as I promised, we're going to talk about blind people and the elephant. Anybody, anybody ever heard of this one? Raise your hands. Yeah, yeah, it's out there. It's out there. Here's how it, it basically goes. The basic premise to, to explain this in pluralism is this, that the basically the reason we have different views and ideas about God and what he's like and who he is is because we're all blind women and men who are around, uh, standing around an elephant that represents God, not Republicans, so don't get that all. You know, we're very politicized, but not here, okay? It represents God, and those people, those blind people, are only touching a part, and they're describing what they feel, but they don't get the whole picture. Here's what it looks like. Here's a cartoon that shows what it looks like, okay? So, just for instance, um, one person might feel the trunk and say God is like a snake, and maybe that's a Muslim, and and another person might touch the tusk and say God is like a spear. Maybe that's a Christian. And then there's another person who feels the side and say God is like a strong wall. Maybe that's a, a Buddhist. And, and one unfortunate man lifts up the tail and says this is not God, this is a rope. And by the way, it stinks back here. And what's this wet stuff in my shoes? And, and maybe that's an atheist for obvious reasons. Is that right? Right? Bad taste in the mouth. Um, I'm not knocking you if you're an atheist. Look, we all hang together. We're all pressing in, trying to find the truth, right? The theory is that they're all correct, that they're all right. They just have one aspect of the big picture. And this seems very humble, very enlightened perspective to have. Uh, to describe the differences between the major religions of the world, it seems humble and enlightened until you think about it. And in intelligent faith, we're going to think. And when you think about it, you realize that it is far from humble. It is far from enlightening and, or enlightened. In fact, it is one of the most prideful and pompous things that you can say. 
It's all, all, all religions basically the same because they only, they're blind people feeling out of it. Here's why. Because the person who believes this is telling a story from the perspective of being the only one who is not blind. Right? They're saying, okay, now if you all could see like I can, and see the whole elephant, then you would know that you only have a piece. This is being told by the perspective of someone who, who is not, they're saying, you're blind, and, and by the way, you're wrong, and, and I know because I could see, oh, and I understand all major religions and their distinctives, and I can tell you, they don't really make any difference because you're all feeling the same thing. I've created an alternate religion, which is like a salad of all other religions, except I've thrown out the ingredients that are uh, conflicting, that don't, uh, that don't go with each other. They're not valid, by the way. Don't worry about it. But you're all touching the same thing. Uh, by the way, it's an elephant. So feed it a peanut. It'll be happy. And then we can all go home and put a coexist sticker on our hoopty. Right? That's what it means. Now, if, if, look, if you own a coexist sticker, I think, yes, we should all love. We should all respect. But coexist in terms of it's all the same, it ain't. And no true Buddhist, Muslim, Hindu, Christian, or Jew would agree with that statement. They're not the same. So let's just get that out. And there are other problems. There are other problems. But before we go, let's talk to somebody who is actually very intelligent. Ravi Zacharias said, anyone who claims that all religions essentially are the same betrays not only an ignorance of all religions, but also a caricatured view of even the best known ones. And there are more problems with this blind elephant fondling except for the fact that it is very creepy. Uh, think about it. It assumes that the elephant, that God, has no desire to be fully known. It's all on you to discover what it is about this truth. Right? He's just going to stand there and let blind people be confused. He has no interest in revealing himself. But that is not true. Jesus has every intention of revealing himself fully to blind people. In fact, when Jesus was starting his earthly ministry, he said this, He, God, the Father, has sent me to proclaim recovering of sight to the blind. Recovering of sight to the blind. That's what he did. And he did that physically for blind people to show what he wants to do for everybody, every one of us, spiritually, which is open our eyes so that we can see. Right? Which one of us has not sung these words? I once was lost, but now am found. Finish it with me. Was blind, but now I see. Was blind, but now I see. Jesus is proof that God wants you to see him and know him fully and personally. Jesus BFF, John, wrote this. No one has ever seen God the Father, but the unique one, the one and only Jesus, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. And the, the whole elephant thing assumes that God does not want to reveal himself. And, and the Bible goes forward. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint, not a rough sketch, not an approximation, the exact imprint of his nature. 
Catch this, catch this. One of the disciples, Philip, said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and that is enough for us. You know what Philip is saying? He's, Jesus, come on, come on, show us the whole elephant. Right? I'm touching me here. Show us the whole elephant. Jesus said, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? It's me. Look into the face of God. Touch the hands of God. Know the heart of God. He, he's revealing. Right? Not feel around in the dark for some nameless, faceless, identityless, higher power. And, and that was news to me. That was news to me for a long time. I mean, I was, I was into feeling the elephant. Like in, in high school, uh, learning a, a lot about God. Like, I don't know if you know this, but you are talking to the head altar boy at a very large parish, right? As a kid. So in high school, I was reading and I was praying and I was, you know, learning a lot about God until a friend of mine said, Tom, do you know Jesus or do you just know about him? What do you mean, no? I mean, no, personally. Like, have a relationship. And it struck me. There is an element to God, maybe the most important element, that I am missing out on. That, that He didn't came, come to be known about. He came to be known personally. And that, that friend helped me pray, helped me have a conversation with Jesus to say, Jesus, I don't just want to know about you, but your word, and my friend says, I can know you personally. Come into my life. Come into my heart. You be my Lord. You be my Savior. I want to be in personal relationship with you. It all changed. 40 years later, I'm going on and on and on about how real he is. How real he is. And you can too. Do you know about him? Or do, do you know him personally? That can change this morning because knowing about is it won't get you anywhere except frustration. You were created to know him. Okay, number two. All paths lead up the mountain. Up the mountain lead to God. Any, any mountain climbers here? Come on. I see your posts. Yeah, I got 46 or 56, 50, 14ers or whatever. You, you do that? That's good. Good. You got some mountain climbers. You ever heard this expression? All, all paths up the mountain lead to God? Yeah? Nobody? Nobody's ever heard that. Here's what it looks like. Okay? Islam, Christianity, you know, all paths and they come from different... No, you can populate that with as many faiths, but, you know, I, I can't find that graphic, so if I left out your, your favorite one, but the, the idea is the same, 
right? It's based on the premise that people have to go on a quest from where they are up to where God is and the truth is and, and they have to find it. And all quests, all paths, no matter where you start, all, 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 they all lead to the same place. Again, it sounds humble and it sounds enlightened, but it is anything but. Because this presumes that you know every path and every person on that path and the destination of every path and you've been to the top and you know what's there. You not only know that all paths lead there, but you know who or what is there and that they all lead there because you've been there. Do you understand that if we apply the same scrutiny to the doubting thoughts, that they would crumble far faster than your faith would? We just have to think about it. Claims to understand the whole mountain. Claims to know what 93% of the world's population apparently doesn't, that is not agnostic or atheist, that all religions are the same. Oh, and by the way, it doesn't matter all the distinctives that you claim because it's all going the same place. None of you believe what matters. It all leads to the same place. Not, not true. And as I said, no true Buddhist, no true Hindu, no true Muslim, no true Jew, no th- true Christian would agree. Maybe universalists would agree that all paths lead up the mountain to God and to salvation. Religious pluralism is just another religion. It is a religious claim that claims to know better than everybody else. They say it doesn't matter. They're all the same. They're not the same. And we'll see that even more. Between Christianity and other faiths, because you happen to come to a Christian church this morning, here, here is the choice. The choice is largely between the words do and done. The choice is between do or done. Let me, let's go through and look. If you're Muslim, the goal is to reach paradise. There are things you've got to do. right? There's things you have to accomplish. You must be morally upright and obey the five pillars. What if you're a moral train wreck and rather than obey the five pillars, you knock over the five pillars? <laughs> Well, that's an area of concern, right? Maybe you're a Buddhist. And then that goal is to reach nirvana, which is transcendental state of bliss. And to do that, you must do. You must live by the noble eightfold path. But what if you're uh, somebody like me? Right? You don't live by the noble eightfold path. You live only up to five of them. And the other three, we just didn't get to. Well, then maybe then rather than living in Nirvana, you end up in rural Mississippi listening to a cassette tape of Nirvana. Right? It doesn't go as well. <laughs> maybe you're a Hindu. The goal is to re- reach moksha, freedom from cycle of reincarnation. You've got to do self-sacrifice, meditation, levels of self-realization. If you don't, you don't escape the cycle of reincarnation, but it's going to shift. It's going to shift. I want you to watch this. I want you to watch this. If you're a Christian, your goal is heaven, which is enjoying Jesus forever. But we don't wait. I just want to add this. We don't wait until we flatline here. Enjoying Jesus forever begins the moment you make the transaction that I made here, that you just receive it. But rather than do, the word here is 
done. Right, just wake up long enough, say it. Done. Because of what Jesus has done for you, not your efforts to live right or live good enough. That is a huge difference. So what did Jesus do for you and for me? He loved you radically, even more than his own life. Scripture says, but God shows his love for us, for you, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When you, when I, were at our worst, Christ loved us the best, most lavishly, most expensively. That's what it means. Jesus, God with skin on, did not require you to climb the mountain in all your effort to find spiritual truth and moral goodness. He loved you so much, He came for you. He climbed down the mountain into the valley, into the hole where I was, where you are, to find you. He climbed down to rescue you, to find you, to die on the cross in your place, to experience as your substitute the rejection the punishment, the condemnation that you and I have earned so that he could set us free. He died for you and for me. And he rose from the grave to give us his never-ending, ever-increasing, death-defying, bulletproof life in you right now and his perfect record of righteousness. That's what Jesus did for you. doesn't require you to climb up the mountain. He descended because he wanted you home. Because he wanted you home. And he did that for all of us who can't climb. Who can't climb. And that's every single one of us. If you doubt that, you think you can make it up the mountain, think about this. God's word says for everyone, everyone, you, me, Franklin Graham, whoever your, your grandmother, you're the most holy person you know, we have all sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Ain't nobody making it up the mountain if that was even a, a good image. Yet, and here's the good news, here's the gospel. Yet God, in His grace, and his undeserved love freely makes us right in his eyes, in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. How did he do that? By taking the penalty onto himself rather than requiring that you live good enough to earn him. Check this out. Jesus' love and grace is this. Give people what they need the most when they deserve it the least at the greatest personal cost. That is the promise of Jesus. That sets him apart. Other religions say you need to do these things and live this way to earn your way to God, to salvation. You have to be really, really good at climbing the mountain. Other religions are, are for people who are good climbers, who are morally upright, who do good enough. But what if you're like me? What if you have a past? What if you stink at climbing? What if it's always one step forward and two steps back for you? 
then there's not a lot of hope for you in those other faiths. Because they're for the moral achievers. They're for the people that live right enough, who chin the bar. I haven't. God's Word says you haven't either. But God's Word says He loves you, so He chinned the bar for you and took the penalty for all those who don't chin the bar. So if we just receive that, that's the gospel. It's what's been done for you. And you just need to receive it. Jesus is the God for all of us who know they can't climb the mountain and can't run the race. And when I thought about this, I, I thought about um, middle school. Uh, middle school is a, just a, if you're in middle school, I love you. It's just a tough time to be alive. It, no, it is. You know, I don't care who you are. It was tough for me, too. Um, I lived in New Jersey at the time. And once a year, we would have what is called the presidential fitness test. You familiar with that? I knew it was coming. I threw up every, that morning. I was so nervous. Because what it meant was uh, at PE, we would all go outside and part of the presidential fitness test was that all the boys and girls together had to run the 660, 660 yards, three laps there in back of the football field, including the end zones. And I dreaded this. I dreaded this. You see, most years, um, they would finish well before me, and they would laugh and, 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 and point and come up with names. Some would even run again beside me and remind me of certain things. You see, I, I weighed more at the time than I, than I do right now. And I was uh, more than a foot shorter. And it was, uh, it was hard for me. It was hard for me. But in eighth grade, they didn't mock me. They did not. They, they did something else. We were, we were running the 660, and I had about two-thirds to go. I had um, one lap all the way and then all the way back. And uh, everybody else ha had finished. And they all decided to go back, go back inside. And I, I finished alone. For some reason, that hurt more than the mocking being abandoned because you couldn't finish the race. This is not about me. This is not about me. This is about the fact that every single one of us has felt that pain. The race is too long. I don't know what you're racing. It is too hard. You must finish it. You must win it. But you can't. And you try. And you try. And you try. And you can't. Who will be standing there waiting for you? Who will have you in your failure?
who will have you in your slowness. There is only one who stands there, arms open wide, and said, I will have you. I want you. I came for you. I died for you. I rose for you. And I dreamed and created you for this moment when you come home to me. Come home. Let's answer a few questions. Is Jesus the only Savior or are there many paths to God and salvation? Good question. Consider this. Consider this. Other faiths will tell you how to save yourself. It's all on you. Only Jesus, because of his love for you, offers to save you. So let's not debate about whether Jesus is the only Savior. He's the only one who offered to take your place, to die in your place, to be punished in your place, to be rejected in your place. It's all on him. Jesus is the only Savior no one else even offered to save you. Jesus is the only one with the scars to prove it. Here's what Scripture says, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men and women by which we must be saved. Salvation has a name, and his name is not universe. His name is Jesus, and names matter. That's his name. Jesus said, I am the way. And in, in the original language, that means I am the one, the only way, and the one and the only truth, and the one and the only life. No one comes to the Father except through me, and it sounds ridiculous. And C.S. Lewis said, we have to come to grips with the, the fact that a man who said this is not a great moral teacher. He is either who he said he is, he is a crackpot crazy man, or he knows he's not and he's lying. You decide. But I'm not standing here being exclusive. Jesus is. Take it up with him. Here's the last question. Who loves you? Who loves you? She, she was kind enough to date me through high school and um, almost all of college. And uh, one day my mom comes up to me and she's holding a ring. You see, my dad had died two years earlier. And um, she said, Tommy, you know what this is? I said, yeah, that's your engagement ring. She said, yeah, and I'm giving it to you. You need to, you need to ask Cherie to marry you because you can't go to the movies forever. <laughs> Either marry her or let that poor girl go. <laughs> Who loves you? Who loves you? Allah, the God of Muslims, loves only those who first love him. Just quoting the Quran, 3.31-32, where who do good deeds... Two, 195, that is conditional love. Buddhists 
Buddhism doesn't believe in a personal God, so God loving you in, in the way that you and I understand that is not a possibility. And scripture says this, this is real love when you guys come up. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son Jesus as a sacrifice to take away our sins. This is Jesus' gift love that calls you home. We love because he first loved us. The reason you love your spouse, if you do. The reason you love your, your, your children, if you do. The reason you love our, our microphone system, if you do, it, that's because he loved you first. He is the fountain and source of all love. This is Jesus' unconditional love that takes the first step in the relationship. God initiates by loving us when we want nothing to do about with him. We know he's there and hate his guts loves you anyway. And he's initiating that in some of you right now and you know it. You know it. He's loving you. He's loving you. Say, I don't love you back. He's loving you. And you know it. And that's what makes the psalmist say, your steadfast love is better than life. He created you in love. He came for you in love. He found you in love. He died for you in love. He rose for you in love. He offers to save you and sustain you in love. He will never leave you nor forsake you in love. And his steadfast love is better than life. Why? Because this life will end. His love for you will not and will carry you on to the next life. That's a promise. That's a promise. Jesus loves you. But what about the people who are moral train wrecks, who have a long list of failures, who can neither climb the mountain, feel the elephant, nor finish the race? Where do you run when you have no energy left, when no one is waiting for you, when you failed a thousand times? When you've run out of hope, when you've run out of love, when you've run out of energy, when you've run out of patience, where do you run? Who will have you? And he says, come. Come to me. Because I will. All of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. And I will give you rest. I'll do more than carry your burdens. I will carry you. Why do I tell you the story of me being hesitant to ask Shuri to be my forever? Because some of you need to stop dating Jesus and walk the aisle and say, I do. Because there's plenty of us here that are still shopping. Maybe not in what we would say, but you're still looking for the next good thing. What are you looking for? A God who would create you, a God who would love you, a God who would pursue you, a God who would initiate, a God who would find you, a God who would understand you, a God who would wear your shame and bear your pain in your place, a God who would rise again to give you new life, a God who will never cast you away. You found it. 
and there are plenty of people here who would like me say, why do I have to hear this? I have no doubts about who God is. Yes, it's Jesus. I believe. Great. I am grateful that you do. But ask yourself this question as I must ask myself, that if that is so true, then how come every area of my life and every relationship in my life does not reflect that? Maybe, just maybe, I haven't let him love me to the point where I'm fully changed. I still want you to, and so does he. We've got some business to do. I love you. Let's pray. Lord, you are so good. You say, I know you're tired. I've been there. I've been rejected. I'm asking you, come home. Come home. Don't feel the elephant. Don't climb the mountain. You're just walking away from me because I've come down to where you are. Lord, for anyone who has not just received your gift, Lord, may they say the same words that I did in the same heart cry. Lord, I want to know you personally, not just know about you. Come into my heart. Come into my life. You be my Lord. You be my Savior. Forgive me. And Lord, there are others up here who are sure, but our lives don't reflect how sure we are. Lord, help us live in celebration of your love, not so that we can earn it, but to celebrate the fact that we already have it. That's true. Lord, uh, stir our hearts, draw us to you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I'm going to be hanging out in this corner. Uh, Josh and Amanda will be over here. Pam and Edward over here. You and I need each other to pray. There's power in that. So if you need prayer for this or for anything, let's get it done. I love you.